morning and welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest will be Joanne Mazata. She has written the book, Why Whisper? This is about the unfortunate uh, death of her son through suicide. But before we get into that, I'm going to give a little information about what suicide is and, 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 and how it affects uh, everyone around them when someone unfortunately takes their own life. But here are some statistics. Suicide is the 13th leading cause of death in the world. This is the World Health Organization statistics. 87 to 98% of mental health issues, be it any type, be it bipolar, be it substance abuse, depression, are part of someone who decides to take their own life. It is also the leading cause of death between 18, or say better yet, 15 and 32. So obviously, uh, something we don't want to talk about, uh, hence why the book is called Why Whisper. Um, it's, what's wrong, Brian? You're looking at me. You okay? No, I'm just trying to figure out who's sitting outside the screen. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought maybe my voice wasn't working. And even I don't hear myself really that great, but that's okay. So please excuse us. But I, I, I want to get it out immediately that uh, this is a pretty serious topic. And I, through uh, Joanne today, want to kind of dispel what people think about suicide and get them to understand uh, that it affects everyone. And we don't have to be ashamed to talk about it or try to help someone who is going down that path. Joanne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed our conversation the other day, which will lead into this. Um, why did you, well, first, better yet, why don't you tell us about your son, Dan? My son, Danny, was uh, 32 years old when he died. He was um, a very uh, charismatic guy. He was uh, standing in uh, academia. He was brilliant in many ways, and he was friendly. He was, uh, like I said, adventurous. He walked on both sides of every street. He was a very, very handsome guy and uh, happy. He was always smiling. Now, we didn't. We didn't. It took us a long time to realize that he was self-medicating when she started. Yeah, not too young, but pre-college, he started with the drinking, and he got involved with uh, drugs, and he was uh, treated for it several times. And, okay, um, so so we did go to rehab for for drug abuse a few times. Yes. Was it was anything diagnosed at that point? There might be. A, uh, underlying depression involved as far as clinical or something along the lines of bipolar disorder, or is he just being treated for the substance abuse itself? Right. Well, the answer to your first mm. question is no. Okay. He was never diagnosed with uh, any kind of disorder. He was in, you know, he, he was treatment literate as far as the 12 steps were concerned. And he had that terminally unique attitude, I'm not uh, drunk, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. And um, he, he was a lot of work toward the end. Uh, we, he started to get in and out of trouble. And you know, he married, uh, <laughs> he got involved in an unrealistic situation with a girl who had a, a you know, a, a baby already. And she wasn't on his page, but he thought he had to marry her because she, she got pregnant. And he tried very hard to go the traditional way with the husbandry and the fatherhood. And um, she ran off with um, his childhood friend. And when that happened, it was uh, two years of, of pure hell. Uh, he couldn't cope with it. 
and he ran off, moved to Florida, and he was going to try to deal with himself with distractions, and he got clean and sober, and, and that's when it happened. Once he got himself clean and sober, I, 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 he, he saw, I guess for lack of a word, some clarity that this might be the, uh, the best way to handle the situation. Do you think he kind of just moved into that next phase? Right, and he didn't expect that when he felt his feelings that he wasn't going to be able to cope. In fact, he committed suicide a few days after he was released from a uh, hospital for depression. That's it, because he was self-medicating. And then when when reality hit and clarity came, the emotions were so overwhelming that, uh, unfortunately, he thought that was the only way out. Right. Not not uncommon, because a lot of times when someone... um, has a substance abuse problem, be it drugs, alcohol, what have you, it is self-medication. And a lot of times it's also masking uh, a bigger problem, be it clinical depression, bipolar disorder, or something along those lines. And unfortunately, the mo- most of the time, the substance abuse problem is taken care of, but the underlying issue that's causing it is not identified in time, or it right. takes too long. And that's what it sounds like happened to Danny. Right. What kind of kid was he, Joanne? What, what, you know, what Danny, kind of child he was, was he? Was? A, he was a pain in the neck kind of kid. <laughs> Irish kid. What do you expect? Yeah, I was um, I'm the mother of four. Mm-hmm. I was the same mother to all four, but Danny was Danny. And uh, he would uh, do things that he shouldn't do, like try to drive when he was 10 (laughs) and things like that. And uh, I had him in counseling a few times because I needed control. I had four, and I couldn't have this. And I was told that this boy is going to grow up to be a great lock picker or a great lawyer. Pick a winner. You have to channel his energy. So (laughs) (laughs) I tried to do that. He was different. Danny was different. And uh, he was happy. He was. Believe me when I tell you, no one would believe that Danny would commit suicide ever. And when they came to the door to tell me, two plainclothes officers came to the door and showed me their badge. I knew. In fact, I said instead of saying hello, I said Danny. And they told me he was dead. And I thought they were there to tell me about someone else's kid. I was just backed into the bathroom, and I, you know, tried to pull up all the, the, the courage I could, the strength that I could to allow them into the house. And I was showing them Danny's picture on the wall with my other children, and I said, that's Danny right there. And I half expected them to say, oh, we're sorry, that's a mistake. This isn't the kid we found. This isn't the guy we found. I wasn't going there. I was not going there. And then I was alone in the house, so I had to call my family, my children one by one, to stay calm and ask them if there was anyone with them at their work that could take them to the house that we needed, we needed them to come. I needed them to come to the house. And eventually they all came. I, I have blank spots in between, but it took me a long time to reconcile that he was gone. Because people like that just don't die. He was as bright as light in the world. He was just... The bigger-than-life so picture. Yeah, he was yeah. bigger than life, yeah. And that's tends to be the case with uh, people whose personalities are so so strong. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if we talked off the air and we were wondering, and I asked you if, if, and someone else had asked you, but you told me that, was there a possibility that Danny might have had bipolar disorder? And I believe your answer was, you, you think it's possible. 
I think it's possible, and I hope that's what he had. I'll tell you why. That's an answer. Because when someone commits suicide, the people that are left behind feel a different kind of grief than the ordinary grief. That When someone dies of a disease or a car accident or a shocking death or a long-term illness, it's so different because no one asks why. When someone commits suicide, there's, a, there's a, a sense of culpability and blame and regret that you struggle with like an entity. It's a wrestling match for years later saying, I could have done something, I should have done something, why did I say that, why didn't I handle that better? But when if someone came to me and said we found in his autopsy that he was bipolar, I would say, okay, he went with God. Well, you're looking for an answer, and, and, and I can understand that as well. We're talking to Joanne Mazzotta. She has written the book, Why Whisper? It is about the unfortunate uh, death of her son, Danny, through suicide, and that is today's topic. We are talking about suicide, and we're going to get into some pretty deep issues here. Um, Joanne, how did this affect your marriage? Now, in a lot of ways, uh, when something like this happens, and even any, anything that's kind of traumatic along those lines, it puts a big strain on the marriage, and marriages can fail at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was very hard. I we actually we separated a year later, but we didn't stay separated. Good. Thank God. But what happens when there's a, a a mother and father who lose a child anyway? It's eight to one divorce. Yes, so, it is. It's so very high. Yeah, it is. Why it happens is because you're both grieving. You both need comfort and support, and neither one of you are capable of giving that to one another because you're both in the same shoe. So you need to talk about it. And when someone dies any other way, they, you're embraced. They come yes. with the casseroles. They call you. Are you okay? How are you doing? You want to go out? You know, here's an apple pie. Let's go for a walk. But when someone commits suicide, you become a virus. Everybody disappears. Well, I was going to ask you that. You your friends, uh, of course, they find out. Uh, how do they find out? Do, do you do you do you tell them? Is it just kind of word of mouth? It filters around because obviously, you know, Danny dies, and there's going to be an obituary put in the paper, right. and you're not going to explain. I mean, you, you don't put that kind of information there. Uh, again, how do the friends find out, and what's the initial reaction? It's word of mouth, and there is no initial reaction. Hmm. You see them at the wake. They're uncomfortable, and they pay their respects, and they leave. And uh, you don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. My family, my siblings disappeared. They, they, one of them didn't even come to the wake, and we were a tight, tight Italian family. She couldn't handle it, and they couldn't handle it for a long time. And they were, in, they were grieving with me, but I didn't know it. I felt very abandoned. But I realize now, in retrospect, which is how we learn everything, I think, that they were horrified and, and afraid to talk about it. And there was someone apologized to me once in a conversation because she said the word suicide. She said, oh, I'm sorry I said that word. And I felt, <laughs> I began to understand, and I forgave them all because it, and that's why I started to journal. I didn't write a book to write a book. I, I had no one to talk to. I tried grief groups, counselors, uh, antidepressant medications. I was on nine, nine different antidepressant medications. Yes. I said, that's not going to fix this. I figured that out. And I wrote and wrote and wrote for years. And I tried to understand or I was trying to let it be a cathartic act. And 
after about eight years, I mean, I put it away for months, take it out, put it away. My husband said to me, he found them and he read them and he said, please publish this because there are a lot of people out there who think they're alone in that tunnel. And that tunnel is scary because it's, it's bottomless, topless, there's no beginning, no end, no sides. You're alone, and, and it's like a, a washing machine stuck on agitate. You can't find out who you are because when someone commits suicide that you love, you have no identity. You become, oh, that's the woman whose son killed himself. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, did you feel at times that people might have looked at you as being the problem that might Absolutely. have been you didn't? You didn't raise them right. You didn't see the signs. Absolutely. What kind of mother? That, now, how did that make you feel? Because you're torn with the grief of your son. You're questioning everything. And then what's supposed to be a support network of some kind, you can sense they're kind of putting it back on you? Absolutely. Well, that's what I used to do before it happened to me. I would Very say honest. that's the lady whose son killed himself. I wonder what went wrong in that house. So I understood that after a few years. I said, well, of course, the stigma is old, and it's worn out. And that old blood-will-tell adage, oh, her son's no good because she is no good, or because they got divorced when he was young. or they, Everyone wants an answer, and sometimes the answers are preposterous, for lack of a better word. Danny was the, one of the four loves of my life. And also, he was a insulin-dependent diabetic, and he wasn't diagnosed till he was 15. And he came to me one day in the backyard, and he was a kid. He was about 14, 15, and he said, Mom, my head, my head, I keep hearing the, a lot of talking in my head. I don't, oh, something's not right with me. I, I, need, I don't know what's wrong with me. And, you know, I laid him down on the bed. I, I put Jonathan Livingston Seagull's <laughs> tape on the recorder, and I said, you need to learn how to meditate, to relax, to, you know, you, you have too much going on all the time. He was so hyper. And I let him listen to that. And I'll tell you, John, that stayed with him until his late college years. And he loved Jonathan Livingston Seagull because yeah. he was a different seagull. And he identified with that seagull. It's a strange story. And about a month before he died, we were talking about his past and the trouble that he had gotten into. And I said, why do you refuse tradition? He said, I want to fly higher, Ma. That's what he said to me. It sounds... Um, because yeah. I just want to fly higher. You know, it sounds like the more we talk about it and the little little things you're telling me, as I'm picking up on them, it sounds possibly like he was bipolar. Absolutely. And uh, you said he was extremely intelligent when it came to numbers and math and so right. forth. Right. So he had that gift. Yep. And did you see other signs as he was growing up and entered into his teen years and his early adult years Besides, obviously, the, the self-medication with uh, alcohol and drugs, but did you see anything else, the flipping of personalities from time to time, the highs, the lows? Uh, I can't say yes on that right away, but yes. Um, looking back it, with it, hindsight? Looking back, yeah. yeah. Because Danny, because he was self-medicating, he had such a proclivity for trouble. That was bigger than life. So we were so focused on the problems he was causing himself that we weren't seeing the pro the reason why. So we didn't study that hard enough. He got a lot of attention from all of us. His, even his siblings began to mother him. 
Well, I was going to ask, how did the, now where did Danny fall as far as the uh, oldest to youngest? He was the second child. Second child. How many boys? Two. So you got two and two. Yeah, I have a girl boy and a boy girl. Wow, that, a lot of people would be happy with that. Yeah, I <laughs> to have that kind of back and forth. Um, what did his brother and sisters think? What was the thought process there? Uh, you know, Danny's causing trouble. Is he looking for attention? Is he is he taking attention away from the rest of us? Was mm-hmm. there any, any animosity there? Yes. There was? Yeah, his brother approached me when Danny was in his 20s came to visit me. He was living out on his own way then. He did well. He was the other brother, the one, the good boy, rich yeah. man, poor man. Yep. Kind of thing. And um, he said, Mom, please, every time we have a conversation, do we have to talk about him? Yeah, I can understand that. And I said, I'm sorry, Richie. He goes, I need you too, Mom. I, need, did... you, I need you to talk about me. So that when that happened, and my oldest girl was uh, his, his angry mom. And she'd bail him out often without telling me. So she they took do. that role. She took the role, yeah. And behind my back, she would, you know, go bail him out. He picked up for a DUI and tell me later. And she'd cry and be angry and mad. I said, well, don't do that again. Do not do that. He needs to pay a consequence, you know. And here I was with the rhetoric. But what he really needed was a doctor with a brain. <laughs> so... That's yeah, what he needed. And, and that's and it's unfortunate. And, and going on statistics, and I'm well versed in this area. People, and we're going to stay. We're going to stay with the theory that we believe that Danny was bipolar. I think that's the theory to stay with. If you're all right with that, I am. Okay, we're going to stay with that. And I think what happens is, you just people are too close to the situation. They don't see it. Right. They again the 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 person self medicates through drugs or alcohol or even other gambling, mm-hmm. sexual addictions or mm-hmm. thrill seeking, right. and it's not uncommon. Mental illness will hit full bore usually between sixteen and twenty four. Yeah. It can start earlier as far as different signs, and then it can come later. Unfortunately, with bipolar disorder. You usually don't get it right the first or second time. It can be anywhere from five to ten years before the proper diagnosis is made. And unfortunately, by the time that diagnosis is made, if it stays in that that time period, relationships can be destroyed, uh, work, a whole bunch of things can happen. And unfortunately, again, finding someone and defining that they're bipolar it takes a very special doctor. You have to look beyond what's happening at that moment and look for patterns. Right. And, and, and I know that with hindsight, you're able to see those patterns. Yes. Do you see anything in the family gene pool, looking back? Uh, depression, bipolar, things, uh, addiction tend to kind of follow itself in the family gene pool. Absolutely. So you see it with uh, maybe brothers or sisters, yourself, parents, yes. and so forth? Absolutely. Yes. What... Do you watch now? I assume you have grandkids. Yes. Do you do you and your and, and your children take a pretty special extra look to make sure that they're not you know uh, becoming involved in something like this? There's not signs of it. Right. Well, my grandchildren are all small now. Okay. They're all little little children, ten, nine, eight, and uh, yeah, we're very educated now. Because the uh, knowledge is power. Now we know the signs. Before we didn't know the signs. We were, they were unconscious. You know, I, I, I was feeling very uh, constantly with Danny 
mom, as being his mom, I was constantly afraid. And one day I'd feel on top of the world. I thought, oh, he's doing so good. And it was always Danny, 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 Danny. He's doing good or he's not doing good or he went to work today. He had a great day. Well, yeah, thanks, Ma. We go to work every day. You know, that's not a miracle. I said, it is for him. He did great today. And it's today. Tomorrow, we don't know. I'd go to bed and I'd pray. I'd say, please, God, take care of him. It had to be draining on you, Joanne. It had to be. It was very tough. It was very tough being his mother because if you met Danny and he walked up to you with that you know, a million-dollar smile, you put your hand out instantly. You'd like him instantly. He mm. had that effect on people. When, and, uh, yeah. when you found out, and uh, obviously you retreated, do you remember anything about prepping for the uh, funeral arrangements? And no, well, you yeah, just... I do, yes. My was... um, daughter's colleague mm-hmm. came over and arranged the whole thing. Well, that was nice. That helps. Yes, he arranged the whole thing. Of course, we paid for it, but he arranged it. I, I didn't know where to begin on that. I couldn't even think on that on those terms. In fact, when I had to uh, get ready to go to the wake, I was hesitating coming downstairs. And my husband came up, and he handed me a couple of sedatives, and he said, this will get you through it. We need to do this. Let's go, and it'll be okay. It'll pass. And I went in, and I wouldn't go in the room. Yeah. And it was like a stranger was in that coffin. And when I knelt before him, it took me a while to accept that it was him. Now, and religious uh, beliefs, you're, you're Catholic. Yeah, well, we did the traditional Catholic yeah. ceremony, but we did not bury him the Catholic way because Danny had a love for the ocean. Okay. And he went to college at University of Rhode Island, which is on the water. Yep. And when we'd visit him there, we'd take him out to dinner there. He'd say, Ma, when I die, I want to go in that water. When I go in that, that water, I'm going to be home. But I never dreamed that he would really ever be in that water, ever. And he was, and that's what we did. We invited no one, just us. And we went down, and we there's like a, a cliff there that you have to walk down. It was freezing cold November. It was The wind was blowing. My son, Richie, had the box with the ashes in it. And when we reached the water, he put his ashes in one handful at a time. With all, I've never seen such courage from a brother. Wow. That same brother who at the wake had a few drinks. And after the eulogies were said by my two daughters, my son Richie went up there and he didn't go to the podium. He went to the coffin and he sat on it for wow. the most part. And he said, all the people in this room who don't know my brother, who do know my brother, you know what I'm going to say is true. And the ones that don't know my brother, let me tell you who he was. He was a druggie and a drunk. Hmm. That's who he was. And he used us. He hurt us. And now he puts the cherry on the cake and wants to destroy us. He said, but that's my brother and I love him. So it was like a silent warning to anybody who didn't forgive Danny for the wreckage of his past. And then Richie slipped down he kissed him and he left the building. But that was the same brother who put his ashes in the water, and everybody was aghast. No one had ever heard anyone say anything like that at a wake. And that's all in the book, and it goes on to explain wow. what happened next to Richie and how bad it was for him because he loved him, you know, so much. We're talking to Julianne Manzato. She has written the book Why Worcester about her son Danny's suicide. 
Uh, Joanne, tell us how to find the book, please. It's on um, Amazon. It's available through uh, Barnes & Noble also, and whywhisper.net will lead you to it. And there are excerpts on the um, website and the blog. And uh, what Why Whisper offers is a solution to those who are in this kind of grief in a way um, to let them know, A, they're not alone, to let the people who think that their lives are not valuable, that they're mistaken. That's a very important part of the book. And to people in depression, I speak a lot about that, who believe that every, these dog dog days that they have are going to stay there that way. And the truth is they don't. They melt. Life changes continuously. If Danny had stuck around, he would have seen a lot of wonderful things. And there are people, kids, that are yeah. killing themselves now. The rate has risen so high today that people are using it as a cure. Well, that's, you know, it... it I did a lot of thinking the last couple of days. I had to go to New York yesterday on business. I was on the train and kind of wondered how I was going to put this together and, and, and through personal experiences, through our conversation and multitude of other things. And, and I want people to understand something out there. Uh, and I've got, again, a pretty extensive background in what we're talking about. People who commit suicide, um, whether you believe it or not, and I can guarantee this answer to you, they don't want to die they just want the pain to go away. Absolutely. And I need people to hear that again, to understand this. This is not a personality flaw or a character disorder. They want the pain to go away. And, right. if any, and that's it. And, and I don't think people grasp that. And I'm a very black and white person. But as I've gotten older, I've come to realize someone might have a drug or alcohol problem. They might have something else. And... And I don't want to sound overly liberal about it because I still believe you're responsible for your own actions in the end. But maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance. Maybe there is bipolar. Maybe there is depression. Something underlining. And people need help. And they need someone sometimes to step forward and say, hey, we're going to take you there. And getting back to what I was going to ask you next, what was your darkest moment, Joanne? My darkest moment was uh, in the in the actual grief, the suicide survivors feel, and the, the blame and the shame and the silence. And it took a year or so for me to throw my hands up, and I said, I can't do this. Because the, uh, the pain is what you want to kill, like you said. Yeah. The measure of pain is indescribable. To someone who is trying to, to, to get out of that pain, to even describe it, it has no design. It has no Lexus. It has no, no very, very, very few people, you being one and maybe me being one, understand that kind of pain. They say, yeah, well, you know, that'll pass. You know, take a pill. Oh, here, have a glass of wine. Relax. I was doing that to Danny. Lie down. Listen to this tape. It'll pass. I didn't know, and one day after Danny was gone, and I'm not sure if it was a year and a year, a year and a half. I left my house. I said I, I hated the house because yeah. that was the house where they come to tell me he was dead. I got in my car, and I uh, I even recorded an apology to my children. I hmm. just can't do this anymore, and I grabbed a bottle because that's the courage. And most people who commit suicidal drink first because they need that little push yep. 
And I drove my car down to the water, and I drank my bottle, and I took all the pills that the doctor had prescribed for me, antidepressants, and I passed out. In the middle of uh, the night, a police officer was knocking on my window. For the grace of God, I was still alive. And he said, you you need to move your car. You can't stay here. (laughs) And I got out, and it was pouring rain. And I put the pedal to the metal, and I the, the next thing I saw was the tree. Oh, jeez. And three days later, I woke up. I was in a coma for three days. No one knew where I was. They couldn't find me. Oh, so God. the whole attempt did nothing more than hurt the people I love most more. And now I'm embarrassed. Yeah. My depression just went 16,000 levels higher. I have to go home, and I have to shake this off, and I have to get strong, and now I have to work harder than I had to work before because now I have history that I didn't want there. So I had come to believe for a while that when your number's not up, it's not up. You can jump out of a plane. Yeah. You'll live. Yeah, they've got people who've... A couple of people jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge a few years ago, and at the last second, they changed their mind, and somehow they survived. Yes. Which is uh, obviously highly unusual. With, you know, you know, it's we were talking about uh, compassion from people. If if someone dies of cancer or they were in a car accident, even a DUI, where the person is at fault, mm-hmm. is sometimes okay. It happened. That doesn't make the person, you know, who they you know who they were. But when it comes down to a suicide, and I, and I think you're, and, and I look at it kind of the way you do, it's, I think in a regular death, it's kind of everything's compartmentized like in a room, and you can understand it. When it's a suicide, I think you're kind of floating, right. and you're looking for answers, right. and, and people are looking at you, and you know they're whispering, hey, you know, what, what didn't she or D do right? You know, what Absolutely. should they have seen it? And that just makes it feel worse, and it... it And I hope we're trying to, and I hope today we're showing people, we're telling people out there that, hey, you know, it's a horrific thing, but don't run away from the people that need you. And I think people are afraid, and I think you'll agree with me on this. When it comes down to cancer or, or some other way of being sick or dying, it's obviously far more acceptable than having a mental illness because people are afraid. I mean, why can't the brain get sick like the rest of the body does? But it scares people because now they're out of control or they think they are. And and, and have you come across that with some of the people you speak with? Because I know you do some public speaking. Have you come across people who, you know, uh, are trying to understand their own loss and trying to find their own way? The, The worst of it for those people who have contacted me is the blame they felt. I had an email from a young man who was um, drinking for the past 20 years because he thought he killed his best friend who committed suicide. And he wrote to me and he said, thank you so much for this book because I felt like a murderer because I had a fight with my buddy. He was my best friend. It was about money. We were supposed to move down uh, to another state together. I left without him and he killed himself the next day. And I've been drinking ever since, feeling like the executioner. Yeah, but it doesn't work that way, though. No, of course not. And he said, well, if there was something you could have done to keep him alive, would you have done it? He said, of course. I said, well, how can you be the executioner? Yeah, but again, people don't see, a lot of times people don't see the the coming storm 
the uh, the storm that's already coming, it's almost there, and they think that the one thing they did or didn't do pushed right. that button. Well, yeah, it's very it's a conceited state of mind. I said you're not responsible for anybody's life or death. I'm not. Well, I came out of it, but I understood how he felt because I felt that way for a long time because he was my son, you know, and he was different from all the other drinkers and people that did drugs because he was mine. <laughs> well, that's well, it. You're very I've... close to the situation. I see my producer here. I got Jay now has come in. Jay, we're going to roll into a break real quick. Okay. You've got it. We're talking to Joanne Mazzotta. She has written the book, Why Whisper? It is about the death of her son through suicide. We'll be back in a few moments. from Rivers Monroe. Check out Soundstage on WCHE 1520 Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. with new host Mike, my good friend from Rivers Monroe, as he talks with upcoming local artists and musicians. Again, that's Soundstage every Thursday at 4 p.m. with Mike Monroe on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Bryn McHenry here. Do you want to know the latest in lifestyle and entertainment news? Well, tune in Wednesdays and Saturdays from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m., and I will give you the latest in health, lifestyle, and entertainment news. That's The Bryn Project with me, Bryn McHenry, on Wednesdays and Saturdays from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Mary Ellen, the cake boss of Chester County, continues to add more fabulous creations to her mouth-watering lineup. Mary Ellen now has fudge in seven enticing flavors. Try cookies and cream, ooey gooey, or peanut butter swirl. And who can forget the delicious cake pops? A moist piece of cake dipped in buttercream chocolate on a stick. And here's more good news. Mary Ellen now offers sugar-free cakes, cupcakes, fudge, and even sugar-free cake pops. She even has gluten-free products. And be the first person on your block to get a Cakes and Candies by Mary Ellen t-shirt. They're just $16.95 and come with a half pound of free truffles. Cakes and Candies by Mary Ellen is located on Westchester Pike near Bob Wagner's Mill Carpet. Open Tuesday through Sunday. To place an order, call 484-266-0710. That's 484-266-0710. Hi, it's Sandra Lee and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today my guest is Joanne Mazada. She has written the book, Why Whisper? Uh, a book about her son committing suicide and how she has gone about uh, educating people and learning to help herself heal. Uh, Joanne, I, I, I kind of want to step back a second. A question I wanted to ask you about your kids. Mm-hmm. Kind of a dark question, but I, but I feel it's necessary to be asked. After Danny took his own life, was there in any way a sense of relief amongst your children? No. And, okay, so there wasn't any that, that much animosity where, okay, it's finally done and we can move forward. So, so, there, so there was some understanding. Right, in um, an intellectual sense, they have not all of them. My oldest daughter had mentioned if Danny continued that way, Mom, I would have never had children. Seriously? Yes. 
She had two children shortly after he was gone, and um, they put her on a new road. She's a successful career mom. She's a graphic designer. She's done designs all over the country. Good, you know, a good paycheck. And then she had children, and she says, I don't think I could have focused on them. Hmm. He was still here doing what he does, you know, Mom? And she said that in such a sweet and soft way, not like, oh, thank God he's gone. No, I never got any of that. In fact, my son Richie almost joined him. Wow. Same kind of situation coming along, or was this just a reaction to what happened? No, this sober young man began to drink. Okay. And ended up in treatment a year and a half later, and he's okay now. But he said, I don't want to feel this. I can't take it. I can't take it. I just can't take it. Because Danny was like, I <laughs> big and large. But you did say something that I, I, it just came to my mind about mm-hmm. um, his mood swings. Danny had a very short temper. Yeah, I can relate to that. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize. But uh, oh, yeah. when he came to me and told me that he was, his head was full of people, I thought, well, you know, he, I didn't know what to say, so I did what I thought was right. But not too long after that, he got into a scuffle, a bad one, and he, he would hit. Yeah. And he could be very violent. And um, he and his cousin got into a, a beef over a BB gun. Hmm. And my nephew was much taller than him and much bigger, and he knocked him to the ground, and he got a concussion. And he was brought to the hospital. He was he was in my mother's backyard. We all lived in a kind of a, an Italian compound. Everybody lived near everybody. So um, stayed your roots, huh? Yeah. So although Danny's dad was an Italian, yeah. we 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 raised him in the traditions. But uh, once in the hospital, they diagnosed him with type one diabetes. And they, uh, he was there for 10 days, and then I went to classes to learn about it and to learn how to give him his insulin and so on. And uh, once he was on the insulin and the proper diet, Danny calmed down. Yes. Danny was very different, and he started to go to bed earlier and not be so wild and crazy and try to do things he, he was told not to do and things like that. Always getting hurt, though, head injuries all the time because he was always in some kind of, you know, I call them stupid problems. (laughs) You throw a brick up in the air and it hits you on the head. Now, who feels like this? Why do you do these things? You know, so it was always that. But after that, when he started to drink, he learned how to play with the insulin. Okay. He he knew when he was going to drink, he needed more insulin Uh. and he would overdose himself and drink. And a few times he woke up at college where he was almost dead. And um, his buddies had to, his fraternity brothers had to get some candy in them. Well, what about relationships, uh, uh, female relationships, women in his life? Were they, was there anyone consistent? Was there come and go? Was there, you know, people who just wouldn't take it anymore? They, they couldn't right. be with him because of those swings? Not, a, and not as many relationships as one would think. Okay. With his looks and his, you know, his uh, personality, you would think he'd have millions of girls. He didn't. And maybe he wasn't more... monogamous. Danny wasn't going to give up what he loved to do for any relationship. Not mine, not a girlfriend, no one. Danny was Danny. He was going to do what he wanted to do. So his relationships were pretty uh, brief. Well, that's understandable, too, because a lot of times, again, we're going to keep going with that theory that we believe Danny was, was bipolar. 
the personality is is very strong and overwhelming and it can be you know it can be a temporary thing a lot of times that's what happens it's more of a temporary relationship uh, mm-hmm. you know the guy wants to move on or the individual who has it and the person they're with is like okay this can't I can't take this anymore right. what was he like at work Danny uh, gosh he wasn't consistent okay mm. Danny went from calculus major to a psychology major. Then he went into uh, working at a boy's home. He loved broken people. He took people home that most people wouldn't toss a crumb to. Ma, make him a sandwich. <laughs> no, so he was always bringing. I met a lot of people. <laughs> so yeah, he had a quite a quite a social circle full of poor things. He'd call. It. He's a poor thing, ma. Just give him something to eat. It's not uncommon either because you have the empathy because you're living it right. every day. So you kind of you kind of can you know feel that pain other people have. We're talking to Joanna Zada. She has written the book Why Whisper. It is about the unfortunate death of her son Danny through suicide. Uh, Joanne, tell us again how we can find the book. You can find the book at Amazon.com and just type in Why Whisper or Barnes and Noble um, physical bookstore. Those two uh, Barnes and Noble's a physical bookstore, and then WhyWhisper.net will lead you to the book. I want to give uh, some of the statistics we had at the beginning of the show through the World Health Organization. I think it's important for people to know this and to understand it. Suicide is a thir- the thirteenth leading cause of death in the world. That is the thirteenth. It's pretty high up there on the food chain as far as uh, death goes. Uh-huh. 87 to 98% of people who do commit suicide have a known mental health component problem with it, be it bipolar disorder, uh, clinical depression, schizophrenia, uh, substance abuse, which a lot of times is used as self-medication for the underlying mental health issue. I need people to understand that. A lot of times, again, it is used as self-medication. And you have to look beyond getting that person clean and sober and see what the underlying issues are. Also, suicide is the leading cause of death amongst teenagers up to the age of 32. So, you know, again, as we said earlier, and I truly believe this, People who commit suicide, for the most part, are not looking to truly die. They just want the pain to go away. Unfortunately, more men successfully commit suicide in the world every year than women do. Women will attempt it more often, but they don't use the kind of methods that men do. When a man decides he's going to kill himself, it's pretty much a done deal because they use more lethal force. And people who live with depression or have suicidal tendencies. You have to look for the signs. And I know it's hard, but in this day and age, there's a lot of information available. And someone like Joanne with her book, Why Whisper, will give you that insight. Joanne, do you do any public speaking again still? Can people reach you for that? Not yet. Not yet. You want no, to, is that I've something? done a lot of interviews on radio, yes, and we will be, we will be on TV soon, but not, not local public speaking, not yet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be kind of interesting. To yeah. Look at that. The book, was it, I know it wasn't planned. No. I know your husband was kind of the catalyst behind it. Mm-hmm. Did you throw yourself into it? Maybe it took a little bit, but then you just kind of, the momentum picked up and this was your release, your relaxation, you were, you were coming to terms the best you could? No. No, it was like pulling teeth out of a rhinoceros okay. to get me to let go of that book. 
because I didn't want to give Danny up. I didn't want... Uh, he was my son, so I didn't want the world, and I know a lot of the parts of the world, they would point fingers and say, oh, bad, you know. Mm. I didn't want to give Danny up, and I, and I told the truth about him, and I told the truth about addiction. I told the truth about enabling, and it was pretty ugly. And it was partly painful, not partly for me, to release it, to edit it, to reread it and relive it so many times before it was a cooked book was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I knew that we can't uh, go to fairyland and say, oh, he was a, just an angel. He wasn't an angel. He was troubled. He was mean sometimes. Hmm. He hurt me. He hurt all of us. He hit me. Did he? Yes. So writing that down about your own child and then handing it off to the vultures mm-hmm. to eat it and, and critique it and to, oh, it was awful hard, John. You know, Joanne, I'm going to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we talked pretty openly a couple of days ago and I mm-hmm. came away going, geez, you know, I really felt like you're a very strong woman. And just to come out and say that just now, that, that, as, that you love Danny so much, you obviously still do love him. Mm-hmm. You did everything you could, the best you could. And for him to be physical with you, mm-hmm. that had to be devastating to you. And, 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 and I have to believe when he realized what he had done, it had to, it had to damn near kill him. Oh, he stayed away from me for a year. He moved wow. to Tennessee from Rhode Island. He couldn't look at me, no, but I was worried about him still. An hour later, I was worried about him. Does he have his insulin? Does he have money for food? Is he going to be okay? It was awful. Another it was very thing, hard. Another thing about, about getting into mental health issues again, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, you want to get tested. If you think someone or you yourself think you have a mental health issue, you want to get your thyroid tested. Uh, a lot of times... An underlying thyroid disorder can look like a mental health issue, be it depression or bipolar disorder. Um, people with insulin problems, people who have diabetes, uh, if their insulin is not correct, their, their bodies will go up and down. Mm-hmm. Therefore, their mood swings. Your body, your overall health of your body obviously affects your mind. I mean, it, you know, the two tend to go hand in hand. Eat well, you're more than likely have a pretty good, you know, life, you know, pretty good mental outlook and everything else. So you have to look at both the body what you're doing with that, and then the mind and how it's playing off of that. Right. So I want people to understand this, that, you know, it, it, and don't be afraid to approach someone, be it a family member or a friend or even a colleague, and say, hey, I've noticed something. Mm-hmm. Can we help you? Mm-hmm. Hey, look, don't be afraid. If the person blows you off and gives you a bunch of crap about it, hey, you tried. Right. But keep watching because you might be the last link to that situation where you can help that person. Yeah. And that's it, it, and it's very important. No one's looking for a hero. We're looking for someone to step forward and say, hey, what can I do for you? And, and I think that's basic in, in, in just innate to, to humans, I hope still, that offer that hand. Mm-hmm. Um, religion, God. Now, you're, you're Catholic like myself, born and raised Catholic. Um, how, were you still connected to the church at the time of Danny's death? No, I wasn't Sunday Catholic, but I had the uh, traditional Christmases and the Easter's and all that stuff. And my belief system was, you know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, and uh, Father, Son, Holy Mm -hmm. Ghost. But I didn't go to church anymore unless I had to. But um, 
That didn't work. God and me, not friends. Not friends. You found my son dispensable. You took him from me. You know, I had to blame God because I wasn't even beginning to blame me yet until about a month or two after he died. I wasn't going there. I would, I would censure God. Don't even say that word to me. I can and, understand. I think that's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I, what I found becoming very all the rage, let's say, from the 90s to the to early 2000s is cognitive therapy. Okay. And Danny had that, and it was thought, action, feeling, and this is what you do, this is the tool. When that doesn't work, and you're applying that to your life, and the pain won't still go away, I'll tell you, suicide looks very refreshing. Well, and, yeah. And, and still again, you know, if there's an underlying mental problem that you're not aware of, you know, that's a boo-boo. That's a no. You don't say this. Oh, I'm not crazy. You're afraid to say, I'm losing it. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. People, and this is, again, studied, and you can find it anywhere on the net, cluster suicides, uh, not yes. uncommon amongst young people. Yes. One person kills themselves. And then it's read about and they go, oh, geez, if, if you know, uh, yep. Bobby can do it, I can do it. Yeah. I remember my senior year, there was a cluster of about, I want to say 12, and that's very high. And then I think about it back when I was getting ready to graduate. Wow. Um, I also know there's a domino effect sometimes amongst friends and family members. They're when, doing it online. Yeah. Yes. And, and there's that domino effect. Uh, you know, someone kills themselves and then the family members or close friends might feel like that's the only way out because they've triggered their own guilt or their own mental health issues have popped up. Yep. And it, it's, you know, and you're, you know, as we stated back in the beginning of the interview, suicide is such a overwhelming way for someone to kill themselves. They don't realize the collateral damage that's left. Right. And, and again, and if they're thinking in their right mind, they wouldn't do it. So of course they don't understand it. Right. But, for yourself, uh, again, getting back to the book, you, you, you said you had to pull a lot of teeth. You really had to struggle doing it. What's the end result for you? Where do you sit now with the book and how you've moved forward in your life? Well, what's helping me is the people that are contacting me through the website, thanking me for telling their story, their story, because we're all the same. We're all suicide survivors. There's six million of them in the world today with no place to go. They're being pilled up or they're being sent to grief groups or they're paying high dollars to see psychiatrists who can't relate. If you're sitting across from someone who can't relate, he's going to give you cognitive therapy. He's going to give you gestalt therapy. He's going to give you an antidepressant. That's not going to fix this. What's going to fix this is giving it a voice, talking about it. It needs media attention. We're seeing more and more. I think I wrote to you and told you the statistics in the military. Yes, you did. I, I mean, I'm well aware of that from having served and my sister uh, having been to Iraq a couple times and Afghanistan and her situation. And I'm hoping this time, and you're obviously not to be rude about it, old enough to remember Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I am hoping that the United States government takes more of an active approach this time. On this subject. Yes, than they did with the returning Vietnam vets. Right. Because if they don't, we're going to have the same problems we had with them, and it's gonna, it could end up being a partially lost generation. Yes. Something needs to change because the cycle is not stopping. When we see a 12-year-old online 
kill himself and leave a... There's so much. There's a website called Enough is Enough. Please Stop Teenage Suicide. They're dying, and and they don't have to. They're not even living long enough to have children or or see a sunset in in their 20s. It's sad, very sad. And And I think I mentioned to you the other day, when I wanted to die and didn't die... And now I am so grateful. It took me a long time to be grateful for that. And I found myself standing about 100 yards away from the pyramids in Egypt. And I thought, if I died, I would never see this. It was the most incredible, surreal feeling. Babies born, wonderful celebrations. We live a a, a good life. We have a traditional life. We're not not off-the-wall kind of radicals or political nuts. And I know that suicide does not discriminate. You can no. be Republican and lose a kid to suicide. <laughs> you know, be an independent I mean, too. You don't yeah. have to come from the ghetto. No. You can be a celebrity. Look at Whitney Houston. Look at Michael Jackson. Look at Elvis Presley. Money does not protect you from this failing. When you get that depressed, I don't care what you have. You're gone. It's a terminal illness, just like cancer. You know, and it's a shame because I, I going back to Whitney Houston, as you touched on her, mm-hmm. you know, my initial reaction is, oh, geez, you know, Whitney Houston, I mean, geez, you had everything. Yep. But then again, it doesn't really matter. if nope. you, you have everything, but if you don't have your heart or your sanity or the people that matter, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's rehash, but it's true. Absolutely. It, it's, it is what it is. If you don't yeah. have that, you don't have it. You have it's nothing. It's in the soul. It's in the heart. And, you know, when you see a person who survived cancer, you say, wow, what a hero. What a hero. Because you saw all the suffering, and they came through it, and they made it, and they beat it. But when you see a, a depressed person survive... We never saw a Band-Aid. you got this yeah. tall, dark, handsome guy who looks like Adonis. And he survived, too. He survived depression. He, he survived suicide, but nobody knows it. And well, I want them to know it. Well, that's funny. My wife and I were talking about that actually this morning. Uh, it was the last night we were watching the hockey game, and, and we were talking about that, about how it's not seen People don't understand the war that can go on in someone's mind. That's right. That war might be a hell of a lot worse than the cancer that they're trying to fight right now. And I'm not trying to downplay that. No, everything's not. Everything is relative to who you are and what's going on. Exactly. But if you can see that person fighting something physical, the compassion is there. When, you fighting, when you're fighting something, <clears throat> excuse me again, in your mind, that war of mental illness or substance abuse because of mental illness, what have you, people don't understand the victories that you have just by getting up every day. Exactly. Or going to work. Exactly. Or completing that degree. Exactly. And if you told them, they'd step back a couple of feet. Well, you were saying about your son, no one would have suspected outside of the, the, the circle that, you know, he was troubled at probably, good-looking man, very intelligent. People don't see that. Yep. And and it's it, and you doing this book and speaking so openly about it, and I'm really quite, and maybe shocked isn't the word, but uh, yeah, shock's the word, that you came out and spoke about the, the violent encounter with Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people, especially a mother, mm-hmm. would have kept that completely quiet. Yeah, I used to be that mother. I was Danny's cover all the time. But when I, when I, I imploded, I just imploded. I said, this, no... When you tell someone about a death and they come toward you with the arms open and they hold you and they say, I'm so sorry, 
But when someone commits suicide, they back away and they say, sorry for your loss, and they disappear. And like I said, no casseroles come, no calls, nothing. And that is the main premise of Why Whisper. Whoever reads that book who has a friend, and they have been, who've contacted me, my God, oh, my God, my poor girlfriend, she lost her mm. son that way. You just taught me what to do. I didn't know what to do, what to say. And I said, go, go fly a kite with her. <laughs> you know, go sit with her. <laughs> well, you know? sometimes people just need to be with people. Right. And not to be judged by what's happened. And again, I, I, and I can understand people judging a situation such as this, and, and if they know about the person's history, going, well, geez, maybe he deserved it. It was, you know, brought it on himself or herself. Oh, they get angry, and, and so did the, the loved ones. There's a lot of anger, John. There's a period of time when you're nothing but angry. How dare you do I believe this that. my life? Yeah. Because it throws, again, it throws that everything off balance. Right. Any death is going to throw off the balance. This just tilts it in a whole different way. Yeah, you think, how mean. Yeah. It, how, yes. How mean. This is the slap in the face to me. And, and, and I, one thing I didn't ask, and I want to ask it now, did Danny leave a note? Yes. He did leave a note. Did, yep. did it, you don't have to tell us about it. I'm not going to ask for details. But did it, I'm going to ask, though, did it leave anything where you understood what was about to happen or what did happen? Did it leave anything that said, okay, I kind of understand where he's at here? No. I understood where he was just from watching the last few months of his life. Okay. Because when you go from uh, sobriety to uh, back into addiction, you fall fast. It's amazing someone it's didn't pick very up. Very fast, like 48 hours fast. Wow. And um, we uh, did encourage him to go into, uh, you know, a mental health facility for depressional treatment. Mm -hmm. And there's a gap between your discharge from mental health treatment, depression treatment, to um, outpatient treatment, so you leave the building with a card in your pocket, okay. and they promise you that they will, you know, <laughs> give you those uptake re-inhibitors, and yeah. you're going to be fine. Just call this number, make an appointment, da da da. That gap between being discharged when you say, "I'm not a danger to myself," you're gone. Jeez, we've been talking to Joanne Mazada today. She has written the book "Why Whisper" about the unfortunate death of her son through suicide. Uh, Joanne, tell us again, please, where we can find the book. Um, you can find the book on Amazon.com. It's called Why Whisper and Barnes and & Noble and um, my website, whywhisper.net, and my blog. And you're welcome to reply or speak on the blog or any questions you have. And my email is available also for you to contact me. Excellent. Any questions, yeah. Uh, Joanne, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your honesty. And I'm, I'm really hoping today that we could uh, that we educated some people, and that uh, some people will come to understand these kind of circumstances better. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.